Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, this is my show, according to Mr. Kelly. And Brian, you said, when does fall actually start? Yes, 8.54 this evening. This evening? Yes. Wow. So today's the day that we have 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of night. Whoa. Yes. It was pretty dark this morning at 6. Yes, it was. <laughs> it, yeah, you should have been here at 5 or 4.30. Yeah, I'll call you next time. Uh, okay, great. Yeah. You should well, have been up listening anyway, but you know. Yeah. Kiss summer <laughs> goodbye. Yeah. It's in the rearview mirror. Well, not quite yet, but nope. very, very close. So thanks for the timing update. 854, folks. Okay, great. And folks, welcome. Thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. If you do have questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. On Saturday mornings, we get together and we can discuss your yard landscape, garden, your house plants. Better get those house plants started cleaning up and so you can bring them back inside should you want to. How about potting mixes versus potting soil? How to improve your soils in the ground? What's to do as far as pruning? How about bugs, diseases, weeds, and everything else? And please remember my comments are just to help you make uh, maybe a better choice. So it's always going to be work on your part, physical and mental both in this marathon we call gardening. This is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. Thanks to Greg Harvey. He's here producing. I don't know how many weeks in a row this is, but I think he might have the record for the Garden Hotline as far as consecutive producing. So That's great. I'm Mike Miller. I've been doing the hosting of the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations and online. And I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. And during the week, I do landscape consulting. If you'd like to have me, have me come to your home and do a walk and talk, that's what I call my uh, consulting, uh, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage. There's my email address and phone number and uh, where I can be reached. Today, after the show, I'm headed over to Afton. And uh, today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636 861 Three, four, four. Wow, it's so dark. You know, early in the morning, I keep thinking, hmm, it's going to be kind of interesting to do my good gardening stroll. So I have to kind of figure out where I can walk, where there's going to be street lights and stuff like this. On this last day, a few hours of summertime, I stepped outside. Woo, man, it was cool. That breeze, wow. I thought, hmm, lucky thing I have a T-shirt on besides another shirt as well. But I headed east on Bates. The Arundis, the Holly Hills Community Garden. Planting around the sign, wow, it's really been simplified. It used to be really overgrown and everything else. Now the main plants around the sign announcing this was a Holly Hills Community Garden. Gateway grinning responsibility. Uh, 
multi-trunk redbud trees. They really kind of create the setting. There's a wind chime blowing in the house across the street, and crickets are glad there's still some plant debris left. Ten-foot-high pampas grass. Wow. Flowers and blades were swaying with the wind. And uh, there is actually a double bed, which I didn't know they did that in these community gardens, double bed that has some fantastic-looking sunflowers, and they were all sort of facing the east. I guess they were anticipating which way the sun was going to come up. And that was in there with also some maiden grass. And the maiden grass was mimicking the pampas grass. They were both swaying in the wind. It was almost like somebody in Hawaii or something like that. There's another bed that had some basil, which is in flower, and they also had Roma and grape tomatoes. And the tomatoes were saying, please harvest me before I start dropping. There was a lot of beds with lots of tomatoes. And one bed actually had some blue morning glories growing up into the tomatoes as well. One bed, I was, at first when I looked at it from a distance, I thought, what is that? Is that some kind of hybrid cotton plant? Nope. It's a bed full of milkweed plants. And their pods were just erupting, and it was letting all the seeds kind of get out of the way and blow here and there and everywhere. So that was, that was I mean, I was these things were probably hmm, maybe five-plus feet high, and the number, each one had three or four pods. And when they, you know, erupt, there, I don't know how many seeds, those airborne seeds are in there, but there is a lot. All of a sudden, I look over this direction, and there's a possum walking along. He probably says, get out of here. I'm over here to have some tomatoes, and you're, wa- you know, you're bothering me. So he snuck under the fence, which is on the south edge of the community garden. And uh, there's also on that side, river birch, a nice row of them as well. There's a picnic table saying, if you would like to sit down, that's fine. And if you want to just sit down for a second, there's a great view from here. Pepper plants were still full. couple of plots with the raised bed edging. Well, it needs some rehabbing during the wintertime. One plot was labeled with a sign saying SSP. I don't know what, exactly what that means. And the gray foliage, purple-flowered Russian sage, it was waving goodbye. The sky was beginning to lighten, and I knew it was time for me to go. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, good gardening to you and 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. After we speak with Jane, I'm going to be talking about some of the weed circumstances that are probably happening or could be happening in your yard. Jane, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Is there anything that can be done to a gum tree to keep it from dropping those balls? Well, basically what you have to do is have a tree service come out, and they have to do it right in the springtime just as a sweet gum tree is in flower. So that's very crucial. You can't do it any other time because what those are are seeds. And so what you try to do is inject a chemical into the tree And then this chemical will interrupt the flowering cycle, so then consequently there will not be any sweet gum balls just for that year. This product was developed in Southern California because they use olive trees for street trees, which is totally crazy. I lived in Santa Barbara, and 
there, it was like, are you kidding me? These things are dropping, and they were not like sweet gum balls where you're going to fall down because you're going to roll on them, but they turned things black. It was just totally incredible. So, yes, it can be done, has to be done every year, and it's an injection system. And cost-wise, I do not know how much it is, so you might call your favorite tree service and you know have them give you a quote on taking care of it. But it's, again, just one year. Well, it was supposed to have been an oak tree. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and this last year, it's been out there about 25 years. And last year is the first time it's ever dropped bulbs. Really? After 25 years? Usually they start doing it about the 10 to 15 or so. Yeah, it's been out there at least 25 years. Well, the other option is to have the tree removed if it's really problematic for you. Well, it's a problem. So I think that's going to be the answer. Right. I can understand because they are brutal. Well, and you step on one of them and you go sailing. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. My wife, Tracy, she grew up in Glendale, and she had they had a sweet gum tree in their front yard. And sort of her job was kind of the taking care of the yard. She had two other sisters, but the sweet gum balls were one of her the things she hated the most about doing anything in the outdoors as far as like cutting grass or anything else. Well, I certainly don't blame her. <laughs> I hate this thing. <laughs> well, thanks, Jane. So, yeah, get a hold of a tree service and have them come out, give you an estimate on taking the tree down and just kind of go from there. Okay, well, at my age, I'm afraid to even walk down the walkway. Right, I understand. When you get to be an old lady, (laughs) and I am, but I guess I'll just have to call the free service and have it removed. Right, exactly. So have them come out, maybe call a couple of them so you can get an estimate on cost-wise. Just make sure they're going to haul everything away. And uh, stump grinding, that's not going to make that much difference. Just realize also that, you know, it's tree removed, stump ground. You're still going to have trouble growing plant material because the root system stays viable for several years after even the tree has been removed and the stump ground out. So good luck, Jane. And uh, let's go to Sunset Hills from St. Louis into Charlie's yard. Hi, Charlie. Well, good morning. Uh, a quick question. I have a Japanese uh, maple, and the leaves are dying on the side facing the southwest. Uh, probably. Is that the side also facing? Is it completely open, or is there is there yes. a building there or anything else? No, it's, it's open. So it's probably just related to how old, well, again, how old is it? The tree is up, uh, going on three years. Oh, so it's pretty young. So my yes. guess is maybe just weather-related because... The heat and everything else, all that hot weather we just finished with has been coming, and all the hot weather throughout the entire summertime has been coming up out of the southwest. So it's probably, if it's a a dissectum variety, so in other words, a really fine-leafed one, they're really showing the disadvantage of all the hot weather that we had. And even if you've done adequate watering and everything else, it doesn't really matter. So that's so. I would just say, kind of leave it alone and just see what happens uh, next spring. If that side does not leaf out, then any of the branches that don't leaf out, just prune those out. Okay, I had been reluctant onto watering it. There is an irrigation system, but that's you know it's only momentarily that it does get water. So there has not been any deep watering to that tree. So I thought maybe possibly 
lack of water. It could certainly be that, but usually if it's lack of water, it's just not on one particular location on a tree or a shrub or whatever. I got it. Okay. Very good. Thank you very much for your fine show. Well, thank, thank you. you for having me on your show. If you weren't there, I certainly wouldn't be here. Here's a couple things about weeds that we need to be kind of thinking about. There's a weed called ground ivy that's often found in shady areas where shade even tolerant turf grasses begin to thin and decline. There's an and that's and there's an uh, cool season weed. In other words, one that's germinating right now, growing right now, and everything else called annual bluegrass. It's a bluegrass that only thri- uh, only you know grows for one season. It thrives under adverse conditions such as wet or shady, compacted soil, or where the mowing has been too close. So people always think if I mow close, it's going to help. But a lot of times, cutting your grass too short can really set up a scenario for multiple different kinds of weeds to get a foothold in there and just explode from that standpoint. So they take advantage. Let's go now to Tom's yard, and he lives in De Pere. Hi, Tom. Hey, Mike. Uh, I'm a frustrated grass farmer. Um, <laughs> the, um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, right before I went out of town, uh, dethatched the yard. I had bug soil tested. It was great. Um, I dethatched the uh, yard, ended up scratching it up pretty good, put down some grass seed. I got a, um, a retro uh, water controller, so I was able to keep it wet while on travel. Uh, but I didn't get more than about five or ten percent germination, and uh, I'm just frustrated. I can't figure out what the heck went wrong, and uh, so I'm I'm going to try to do something, even though it's kind of late. But I needed to question, answer a question relative to uh, compost. Uh, is it is it does it improve your chances if you sprinkle compost over the seed? Yeah, it acts as an insulator. So, yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, if you put that seed down and we had this hot weather, that seed could have germinated, and before it could push a root down into the ground, it could have been dehydrated, virtually killed off. Oh, okay. So, I mean, that could have been, you know, part of the scenario. And, I, you know, there is an area in Christie Park, which we live next to, and they put in a new drinking fountain. And they around the drinking fountain, once they finally got it constructed and everything else, they put grass seed down. And I, I saw how much grass seed there was, and they probably only had about 5 or 10%. Now, they didn't have an irrigation system or anything else. They did put straw down, which I never recommend doing. But anyway, that doesn't matter. They had a horrible rate of germination for their seed. I wouldn't even know if it, they had 5%, but it's, this was a really difficult time to be putting the seed down and then with, you know, as hot as it was, windy and everything else. Okay. So um, it, it, there's still uh, enough time to, to do something worthwhile? Oh, yeah. You probably still got an opportunity because basically germination of seed and or if you plant a shrub or a tree, the ground is still very warm because of the warm weather that we've had. So consequently, that's what triggers the seed germination or root development of the plant material. So I would certainly give it, you know, give it a try. And if you're really serious about this, I don't know how big the area is, but you might consider putting some sod in there just to kind of give you some kind of a psychological, you know, I guess, lift while you're waiting for the seed. But even with the seed, even if you have a higher rate of germination, self-seeding or overseeding, you know, on more or less bare areas 
is going to mean, even if it's not bare areas, it's going to mean that you're going to have to continue to seed every May and every September for a couple years to get it, you know, fairly thick. Oh, okay. Uh, if you use sod, uh, do you uh, in an existing lawn in uh, some bare spots? Do uh, can you just lay it out there, or do you need to do anything else? You should turn the soil over, or at least rake it with a garden rake very heavily, so the sod root system can get an easy penetration into the ground. Because even if you have somewhat good soil, the soil is going to be compacted just through all the years of mowing it and walking across it and everything else. So you got them at a minimum of doing that. It would be better if you put like an inch or so of compost on the soil, turned it over, leveled it off, and then lay the sod down. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate it. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, lawn is the most expensive part of most people's landscape. And then consequently, it, in this region, it is the most difficult thing to grow because we're in that transition zone. Where the zoysia comes this far north, and it doesn't go too much further north than us, and the bluegrasses and things like that come south, and they don't go to, or you know, from the north where it's cooler, that's where it likes it better, and they don't go too much further south than us successfully. So it's, uh, you know, we are just in the worst possible place to have lawn, and that's what we're haunted by. Let's see if we can get another call in before break. Teresa lives in St. Charles. Hi, Teresa. Hi, I've got a couple of questions for you. Well, one big question. I have a couple of roses of Sharon along my fence line that haven't been pruned in like 15 or 20 years. And they're covered right now with a big mess of kudzu. How do I take care of both of those problems? Basically, if you you have to find out where the kudzu is coming up out of the ground. And then when you do, go and cut it and then put some herbicide right on it. So in other words, like Roundup, paint it right onto the kudzu stem coming up out of the ground. And okay. as far as the Rosa Sharon goes, I would go ahead and just, if it's overgrown, it's too heavy and everything else, and you're going to, and you have it sort of, this kudzu is virtually covering it. I'm surprised it's still able to stand because sometimes kudzu gets so heavy it causes things to bend over. But once you get, you know start, just, let's say, cut off the kudzu, remove as much as you can from the rosa sharon, and then go ahead and cut it back about halfway. Okay. Yeah that w- that was my big question. I didn't. You know, I'm going to have a grandson help me with the chainsaw, and I didn't want to let him get too enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't need to cut. I mean, a chainsaw, Rosa Sharon, I don't know if you need a chainsaw, but you can do that. Just make sure that the, it's sharp because you don't want to fray the stems of it or anything else because that could be an introduction potential for diseases. Gotcha. No, these things are so big that trying to cut them by hand would take about five years. <laughs> So, yeah, so just get, you know, go after the kudzu. You're, we're really getting kind of late for herbicides to be very effective, so just kind of understand that. You could go ahead and cut, find out where it's coming up out of the ground, if it's in your yard, the neighbor's yard, or wherever else, or common ground. Cut it, and even if you decide not to put any herbicide on it this fall, then just wait until next spring when the new growth starts at that time and go after it right then. Gotcha. Okay, thank you. Yep, and again, the herbicides may be effective, but they may not because of the weather. 
So the plant material is really slowing down. We're starting to see some trees and everything start to, you know, just, I don't want to say discolor, start to color with fall color. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. We're seeing some nice weather here for a few days. But that could change in a moment's notice. Shower and thunderstorm activity. When you need to know about the weather. Rain, wind. Stay informed with up-to-the-minute forecasts every 10 minutes, mornings and afternoons. Complete weather information at kingmox.com. And when severe weather's in the forecast, the KMOX Air Comfort Heating and Cooling Specialist Storm Center will be there for you. Here's the latest on what's happening with our weather. Weather information always on News Radio 1120. KMOX. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments about your yard, your landscape, or your plants, or anything else, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And if you were listening, the gentleman was asking about putting seed down. Yes, you can still put it down. In theory, you know, it would have been better to put it down earlier, but... You know, what has happened if you would have put it down earlier and even with adequate watering and everything else, that temperature could have been hot enough to cause some real problems. And speaking of problems, a couple weeks ago, I bought some pansies. They were young, you know, small and everything else. And, you know, pansies, they like the cool weather. I thought, well, you know, it's hot. I didn't realize it was going to be quite as hot. And probably out of the flat of pansies I bought, uh, probably only uh, maybe 12 out of the 36 plants, survived that heat. And so some I had even in the shade, but it was just so hot because of, you know, the place I had set them and everything else, they just baked. So it was just like what happens to the pansies, you know, obviously as they've come through winter or anything else, and the weather gets so hot, and it was I was kind of depressed. But uh, I've, I also got some ornamental cabbage and kale. They seem to be fine, but they were bigger and they're a little bit tougher. So consequently, the pansies, I'm going to have to get another flat of them because I like to have them right outside our kitchen window. Anyway, let's go to Wildwood and into Chris's yard. Hi, Chris. Hey, Mike. How you doing today? Very good. Uh, I guess I am at war, and I am at war with bush honeysuckle. Ooh. Uh, we're on three acres out there in Wildwood, and I'm trying to eradicate it from our property so that it doesn't keep spreading throughout the subdivision. And I've tried numerous things uh, to take care of it, <clears throat> but wanted your input. Uh, basically, now you understand. Are you on a slope or anything? First of all, yes, we are on on a hill or slope. Okay. Realize that if you get the honeysuckle, if you get it out, and you don't put something in its place, the soil is going to lose its stability, and you could have erosion problems. So just keep that in mind. I'm not saying don't go after it. I'm saying just selectively start taking some of it out rather than just going after one big square area or one big oval-shaped area or whatever because you don't want to have erosion because we don't know what kind of rainfall we're going to have or anything else. But the best way to do it is, you know, I mean, it's going to be very, very, very tough. Find the ones that have the biggest trunks. Cut those trunks off at a 45-degree angle about two to three feet high. And as soon as you make that cut, paint Roundup for killing woody plants just on that cut, on that open wound. And that's probably the best way that I can think of getting rid of it. Now, many people don't like to do that because they don't want to use herbicides or whatever it happens to be. Other than that, you're going to have to dig it out. And I mean dig it and get the root system. If you just cut it off, it's just going to come back. Right. 
Okay. So cut it off. Put a you know an herbicide, and I recommend Roundup. It'll say Roundup for you know. First of all, it'll say Roundup poison ivy killer and woody plant killer. Don't use regular Roundup. It's not strong enough. Okay. Well, so, thank you very much. Yeah, and again, just watch out, you know, selectively take it out, so making sure that you're not going to have a major erosion problem. All righty. Thank you, sir. Yep, good luck with that. And now let's go to Paul, and Paul's in his garage in Florissant, I guess. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's warm in my garage. <laughs> when I, earlier this year, I germinated an avocado seed, put it in about a 12-inch pot, miracle Grow. Uh, not potting soil, which is the dirt, but that other miracle grow. And it's about a foot, foot and a half tall. If I bring it inside, because I know St. Louis isn't good for growing avocados in the ground, right? will I be able to keep it alive inside? Oh, yeah. I mean, just make sure that it, either you get a grow light and put it under a grow light, or even to the best advantage would be like a south or a south window or a west window, that has a lot of straight sun coming in and put a grow light on it there. And you don't necessarily have to have a grow light. That just makes sure that you're going to get the adequate amount of light. But you can grow them for, I mean, I've, grew, I've grown them several different ways. I've grown them just in, let's say, a glass of water for a couple of years. I've grown them in potting mixes like what you're talking about for a couple of years. So, no, you shouldn't have a problem with them. The grow light, uh, not all the time or 12 hours a day? Yeah, basically much? you kind of want to mimic what's going on in the outdoors. Okay, so, I understand that time frame. I thank you very much because I have a grow light. Thanks, guy. I appreciate it all. Perfect. Good luck with that. Yeah, I've got grow lights in my basement. I grow all kinds of crazy stuff underneath the grow lights. And Matt's in St. Albans. Hi, Matt. Hey, uh, Mike. Uh, long-time listener since 1994. I listen to your show every Saturday. Whoa. Hey, I want I, I want to uh, just throw a few comments. These people that are having trouble with the Asian honeysuckle, there's a product available called Tordon, T-O-R-D-O-N. It's made right. by Dow. It's available at all the your favorite farm and home stores. Go get Tordon. Don't even waste your time with this or with this stuff you recommended. I've tried it. It is all over Greensfelder Park. It's all over St. Albans. It's on the sides of the road. It's attacking. It's taking over this Asian honeysuckle. And I think it's just taking the jobs of the American honeysuckle, to be honest with you. But anyway, <laughs> regardless, regardless, go get some Tordon. Put it in a spray bottle, like a spray and wash bottle, you know, where you can just spray it. Right. And it will do the job in two weeks. All right. And, and it will work great. Hey, and another thing. Have the people that have the problem with the with this Asian honeysuckle go put some elderberries. Just drop some elderberry seedlings in place of that, and you'll have elderberries. You can get that from the Missouri Department of Conservation. Works great. That's what I'm doing, and uh, good luck to everybody. And one real quick one: if you're having trouble with sod, if you're out in a in a, in a slope, go get some buffalo grass. <laughs> <laughs> the buffalo grass works so well in Missouri. It, 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 you never have to mow it. It's bulletproof. You can stomp on it. That buffalo grass is thick. It works great. Yeah, it does. It does. Some people don't like it because it gets a little tall. It gets like six to eight inches. Yeah, but I mean, then cut it. But it, it, it's, it's drought tolerant. <laughs> it's bulletproof. 
That works great. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much. I well, appreciate your show. Sure, and thank you. And uh, certainly appreciate uh, your, your comments because that's what the show's all about, sharing information. The Tordon, you know, it definitely works. Some people, uh, you know, can go after it like you have and had, had great success. Let's go now to David, and he's in De Pere. Hi, David. Good morning, Mike. Hi. See, I have a maple tree that uh, has a black fungus on part of the bark, and don't have much more description than that, but uh, any ideas? Uh, basically, don't worry about if it's on the bark. Okay, part of that bark is beginning to kind of peel a bit, uh, but you don't think it'll be any any problem? No, basically the bark is splitting on all the trees because the girth of the, you know, the diameter of the tree trunk gets bigger and bigger. When it does, the older bark will always split open, and then but the tree will be putting some new bark underneath it. But fungus on the trunks or barks of trees is not really all that problematic. Okay, I appreciate your wisdom. Well, great. Well, good luck with that. And uh, now let's go to Tom, and he's first one in Illinois, Glenn Carbon. Hi, Tom. Good morning, Mike. I have a question. Uh, my wife and I moved into a new house we had built uh, here, and the, the lot came with a small maple tree. It's uh, The trunk is about two inches in diameter, mm-hmm. and I guess the tree's about eight feet tall right now. And on some of the undeveloped lots adjacent to us, there's a similar tree. They apparently put one in each lot. Okay. We had ours moved when the lot was, when we had sod put in, so that the tree was in a better spot a little further from the building. Um, the tree, it, 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 it's doing all right, but uh, the leaves were not as green as the other trees in the undeveloped lot, and the color has already begun to change. I guess it's a red maple. They're, it's turning reddish. Uh, I, I would assume that it's not thriving because it was moved. Um, so the question would be, uh, what can we do now or in the beginning of the uh, the growing season next year to make it thrive a little better? Well, basically, hopefully when it was moved and whoever moved it planted it correctly with top part of the root ball above the surrounding ground because that is extremely important. And that means like the top 20%. And then also when the hole was dug when it was moved, should have been dug like three times the diameter of the root ball. And then you don't need to put anything into the hole necessarily, just chop up the existing soil. But, uh, yeah, you're probably right in the fact that the discoloration is related to the fact that the root system was disrupted and moved to a new location. So I would say just make sure it doesn't go through any kind of drought stress through the wintertime. And, you know, by if you have to because you've turned off your faucets, outdoor faucets, taking buckets of water and just pouring it onto the root system during the wintertime to ensure the root system does not dehydrate. And beyond that, that's about all you need to do. And then next year, just hopefully everything will start, you know, getting it back to normal. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. 
Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We just uh, played a rem- uh, promo related to the Cardinal game. The Cardinal game is not tonight. It was originally scheduled as a night game, but the game time is 12.05 this afternoon with the pregame show starting at 11.10. So that's the Ameren Total Access pregame show. So, again, if you heard the promo and you were thinking, well, you know, I'm a little bit confused. The game is this afternoon with starting time at 12.05. So, anyway, Mr. Kelly, are you coming in to make some kind of news thing? What? No. Oh. Okay. Carry on. Thank you very much. Murfreesboro is where Gene lives. Hi, Gene. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Oh, you better couldn't stand it. Except I'm having a war. I heard one of your earlier callers have war with honeysuckle. I'm having a war with nuts edge. Ooh. What is your recommendation for getting rid of nuts edge in your yard? Basically, you have to use a sedge killer. So in other words, you know, sedge ender, sedge killer. It has to say sedge on it. And none of the other, let's say, grassy type herbicides impact the nuts sedge. And okay. this late in the season, uh, the effectiveness is not all that good. Also, the areas where it normally grows is pretty damp, you know, that, in those kind of circumstances. And also, you might try, you know, core aerating your lawn that way and then putting some compost down to help with the drainage situation. That will help sort of change the environment. That, mean, that doesn't mean that necessarily you won't have any nutsedge ever coming back. And also with the nutsedge, even using a sedge killer because of the way they could have dormant seeds staying underground for you know, a couple years, you are going to have to be battling this for you know, at least a few years to finally get rid of all of it. That's just not very encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I always tell people if something's really bothering you, just don't look at it. <laughs> I can't help though. It's right in my, right on from my front porch. Oh my and goodness! It's there every morning, I wake up, I walk out of my porch, and there to greet me is nuts edge. Right, and probably water's running off your porch, and that just makes a perfect environment for it. And the soil's probably compacted, so consequently, again, that just takes advantage of the worst possible circumstances that you that you could have you know that you could have imagined. Do you have a brand name for? The Nutsedge Killer? Yeah, Bonide is a maker, the company, B-O-N-I-D-E, and it's called Sedge Ender. Okay, okay. And probably next spring, best time to do that? Yeah, watch it as soon as it starts coming up, because now it's it's headed towards dormancy, as the plant material is, with the shorter days, and certainly, even though it's been hot, the plants still can sense the day's lengths are getting shorter, whether the temperature is still staying high or not. And then at the end of the summer, all the plant material has a really thick, waxy cuticle to keep it from getting sunburned you know, at the end of summer, basically. So the herbicide's effectiveness is somewhat lessened as, or reduced as a result of that. So what you need to do is watch for it early in the you know, as, you know, Just watch for it starting in, let's say, mid to late April. It's probably not going to be up yet, but at least get yourself into the habit of watching and as soon as you see it, get out there and start applic- you know, applying the sedge ender. Fantastic show. Thank you so much, Mike. Appreciate well, it. Thanks for having me on your show. 
Let's go out to Chesterfield now into Dan's yard. Hi, Dan. Hi, Mike. Love your show. Well, thank quick you. Question, quick question regarding uh, power seed in your lawn. Can you put down too much grass seed? Basically, you can because what you're doing is ba- you're just wasting your money. I mean, I, get, sure. I don't know if technically you can, if it's piled on top of each other, yes, because some of the seeds that are down lower could be getting too wet or too damp because the other seed that's on top of it could be holding too much moisture. So, yeah, you can overseed. I mean, overseed to the point where it's not really going to be functional and you're just wasting money. Sure, I understand that. Another question, while I was power seeding the uh, thatching, piece of the uh the equipment i've got a lot of clumps of uh grass seed and that a lot of clumps of thatch pick that that thatch up and uh put it in the compost bin i assume correct right now thatch is you know thatch is like dead plant material dead lawn dead whatever it happens to be so you're not talking about you didn't core aerate and these are the plugs from the core aeration no, no, this is thatch from the power seeder. Yeah, so yeah, definitely get rid of that junk because wherever it sits, I don't know how big it is, but it, you know, there's a that just kind of creates a little moisture dome and the seed could germinate right underneath it, then it could be so humid, you could have problems with that seed, you know, being able to survive through that. Perfect. Thanks for the thanks for the info, appreciate it. Well, thank you. And now let's go to South County into Matt's yard. Hi Matt. Hi, uh, thanks for your show. I, I have two red maples that typically drop their leaves mid to late fall. This year, it seems like about half of them have curled up and uh, about a third have already fallen. Should I be worried about the maple or is it just the conditions of the summer? It's just the weather related. I've got three sugar maples around. Our, we're on a corner. Two of them are fine. They haven't dropped any foliage at all. The one that's on the west, in other words, the one that's I mean, there is sycamore trees across the street in the park and everything else, but it has dropped a lot more leaves as opposed to the other two that haven't dropped any. Now, it hasn't dropped a tremendous amount, but it still has dropped, you know, a lot of leaves. So I'm having to run the mower over the top of them and mulching the leaves up. And then finally, I'll end up, you know, raking. But just for right now, that's what I'm doing. So I wouldn't yeah, worry too much about it. Good. I'm in the same boat. Typically, that's the last uh, tree that I mow under, but this year is the first. So I guess it's just a weird year. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot. Certainly. And now let's go to Luella, and Luella is from Edwardsville, Illinois. Hi, Luella. Hello. <laughs> uh, I have a question about a poinsettia that I set out in front of my house this spring. And it is about the size of a bushel basket, and I wondered what I should do with it. <laughs> well, you can bring it in. Bring it in. Well, I have to dig it up out of the ground first. Oh. <laughs> yes. Well, if you don't dig it up, it's not going to survive, I will tell you that. They're I native to, that. like, southern Mexico, and uh-huh. they do not like our weather, cold weather at all. I know. I know. They have them down in uh, Florida, too, out, right. out in their yards. Right. Yes. So you think it would, what would I do if I do bring it in? How do I treat it? I mean, just like a house plant? Yes, pretty much, because that's what it becomes. I mean, get it into a pot, make sure the pot, you know, has potting mix, not potting soil. And, you know, try it. Hopefully you're not going to get a lot of dirt with it because you could bring in fungus gnats and some other other inherent problems in the ground. But uh, beyond that, either that or just... 
you've enjoyed it and just go ahead and just kind of let it stay out and let the winter take care of it and just get a new one for next year or a new okay. one for this winter. Right. <laughs> that sounds like the best idea. I agree. Because uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. sometimes when you dig things up out of the ground like that, it's just, you know, it can kind of create a, a real nightmare as far as you don't know what you're bringing in or anything else in your soil. You got to have a pot with good drainage. You have to, you know, have a saucer underneath it. It's got to be in very, very bright sun. If you don't have that, then uh, Luella, you're not going to have very good luck with it. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. And uh, you know, back to the sort of the weed circumstance. I talked about the annual bluegrass needing this, that, and everything else. Uh, so there's some other weeds I noticed recently. One of the uh, warm season grasses. Foxtail, it kind of looks like a grass, but the end of the, you know, the flower looks like a fuzzy foxtail. I've started to see that headed towards dormancy, but the crabgrass is still prolific. It's just going and going and going. I just can't believe how this crabgrass this year is just fantastic. Chris is in Wentzville. Chris, how are you? Hey, good morning. How are you doing? Very good. Hey, I got a question for you. <clears throat> Don't even know how to describe it. Uh, there's a weed that's growing in my front yard along a uh, like a little retaining wall, and it gets burrs or spurs on the very ends of the uh, the shoots, I guess. And they're painful when they're green, but when they dry out, it's like stepping on little shards of glass. What kind of weed is that? You know, I mean, is it? I'm not sure what the, if the description is right. Do, to me, it kind of sounds like nutgrass or nut sedge. Yes. Nutsedge. I'll tell you the way to f- kind of find out. Go where it's growing. Take you know, your index finger and your, other, your thumb and your other finger and feel right where it's coming up out of the ground. If it feels triangular as far as the stem goes, then it is nutgrass. Okay, because it kind of has like, uh, like kind of spreads out and I'll you pull it and it'll go one or two feet to another area. Right. And it can and send, you know, it can send out rhizomes. Area. It can drop those seeds. Yeah. You know, it is prolific. It has a couple different ways of seeding and everything else. So, the uh, yeah, and if it is. To, to get rid of that? Uh, you've got to have to get something called sedge ender. You know, but take okay. one to make sure to your favorite garden center, have them ideaed before you start spending money on a product or on a weed that we don't know exactly what it is. So thanks, okay. Chris. And if anybody right. has any questions, we are, I think we're going to be back for another hour. Isn't that correct? Yes. So uh, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline, and I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly. Right now, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 to get in line with your questions, concerns, or comments. You know, one thing I've noticed this year, more so than I can remember in previous years, there's an annual, there's two different types of the variety of this plant called Celosia. There's a crested, you know, coxcomb celosia, which is kind of this really warped up hybrid thing. And then one that kind of looks like flames. But it seems to be they're kind of the new kind of f- new flower for fall. It is an annual, I will tell you that. But uh, the celosia I've seen more and more and more. Now, I also, 
you're seeing mums all over the place. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds at a lot of different uh, retail locations. Just realize that the mums that are in pots, you know, whether they're budded or, you know, as they're budded or they're starting to show color, once the flowers open up, you've got any place weather dependent, whether they go in the ground or you leave them in the pots, uh, 10 to 14 days of color, then the flowers will start fading. Now, if you want them to be able to survive into through the wintertime, that's going to be a little bit iffy. So if you kind of want to make that, uh, let's say, circumstance a little bit more positive, when you buy yours, yes, you're going to be buying it for color, but look down at where the stem is coming up, you know, at the pot or at the potting mix level and see if there's any little leaflets right there at the base of the stem. Leaflets at the base of the stem could be the best indication that the chance of that particular mum surviving through our wintertime is going to be better. What usually happens is the mums, if you even put them in the ground, as soon as you buy them, they don't get a chance to get their root system acclimated. So in other words, moving out into the soil. And then we get the freezing and thawing through our wintertime, which we're going to have every winter, then the root systems are all torn up, and then consequently they don't survive the wintertime. But anyway, thanks for having me on your show, and we can talk about plant selection, cares for, ups and downs, and all arounds. As I said before, the annuals, the cool season annuals, normally it's the pansies and the cabbages and the ornamental kales and things along that line. If you're getting bulbs or you already have the bulbs, uh, I still say do not put your bulbs, whether they're daffodils, whether they're tulips, whether they're crocus, whether they're, you know, it doesn't really matter. Aranthus, uh, don't do it until we get deep into you know, October. The ground will still be warm. They'll be able to get themselves acclimated. Your edibles, get those tomatoes picked because they're going to get slower and slower as far as they're not going to get much redder than what they are now. So maybe learn to do and love fried green tomatoes. Your ground covers, you start getting a whole lot of leaf debris piled up underneath trees uh, on your ground covers that are underneath there. Uh, set your mowers high and just mow over the top of it. You can just chop the leaves without damaging your ground cover unless it's got really thick and then you got real, you know, that won't really work. Your house plants. Start checking them really, really closely because in the next couple weeks, you're going to be wanting to bring them inside. Your lawn, your cool season, your fescues and bluegrasses, they're still, I mean, they're really starting to come alive. And the zoysias, they're still green, so don't uh, don't fertilize them as far as the zoysias go, but you're going to be fertilizing the cool season lawns like the fescues and bluegrasses. But the zoysias, you know, kind of a little bit starting to change colors, but it still looks pretty good. Your roses... Your shrubs, your trees, your vines, and your water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take. Greg, again, he stayed for the second hour of the Garden Hotline, so he's producing. So when you call, he will be the one who answers, and he'll ask you your name and where you're calling from, and that's pretty much it. Then you go up onto the computer screen, and then we just kind of go from there. I do something I call a walk and talk where I come to your home, and I help you with either aesthetic problems or problem solving with different plant material. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage will have my email address and phone number. And I'll come over to your house and share 40-plus years of experience related to your landscape. This past week, I was at two different homes, and both of them had azaleas. And consequently, you know, the azaleas here just has a really, really difficult time. Even the purple varieties are by far the toughest. 
But consequently, my experience with the azaleas started when I first moved back to St. Louis from California, and I worked at the Botanical Garden four years in the English Woodland Garden. I started there in 77. The English Woodland Garden was put together in 76 for the bicentennial. Consequently, there was 11 varieties of azaleas that were put in. And by the time at the end of my four years, and I was doing everything according to the book, everything that you know needed to be done, and just the varieties just didn't survive because our weather was too goofy. So anyway, just kind of keep that in mind for the azaleas, and uh, it was kind of it's always kind of sad to see. And now a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting six three six eight six one three three four four. Everybody, anybody that had success with anything this past summer, as you know, Brian Kelly said, summer is going to be over at, what you, I think, 854 or something today. So consequently, if you had good luck with anything at all in your landscape, I give you a tip of the trial because this has been the most difficult year for lots of different types of plant material. As I have said, you know, through the basically the summertime, I love begonias. Half the begonias I originally bought did not survive because of various circumstances related to the weather. And I was treating them, you know, as I normally do all of them. And it was just like things were collapsing and there was just no explanation other than it was related to the weather. And that was I was still adequately watering, but sometimes water, fertilizing and everything else is not a guarantee that you're going to have successful plant material. So everybody who worked in their yard and had success with their lawn, with their trees, with their shrubs, with their clematis, with their roses, roses were just, I mean, right now we've got, we had four of the knockout roses in pots. One of them got uh, rose rosette. I got rid of that one. The other three still look very, very good, and they're producing. This is going to be the fall flush. So this is going to be the you know the last big flush of roses you know this year you know as far as bloom wise, not just the knockouts, but all of them. Do not prune your roses after this point. Let the rose hips form, and then consequently. That's going to be to the advantage because the rose hips forming where the flowers were sort of tells the rose it's time for me to go to sleep besides the weather and everything else. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. The only way you can take KMOX with you is with the Radio.com app. Download it today and listen to us anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we can say goodbye to all the spurges. Spurges are the things that grow really flat, type of weed, really flat on the ground. And if you just, like, pull one of the, let's say, stems or arms off of it, it'll have white sap. It's related to the poinsettias. What a coincidence. Certainly nothing like a poinsettia. How about the ragweed? Yes, it's gone. All the warm season weeds, the crabgrasses, they're still very healthy, but there's going to be heading down soon, downhill real soon. The goosegrass, the foxtails, and all kinds of other things. And then in its place, that's going to be the henbit, the dead nettle, common chickweed, annual bluegrass, the Persian speedwell. So those are the cool season weeds they germinated just recently, and they're going to be able to survive through the entire winter time. Let's go now to St. St. Charles County and into Lee's yard. Hi, Lee. How are you? Uh, good morning, Mike. I enjoy your show. Well, thank you. I've got a question for you. Um, throughout the spring and summer, the wife and I, you know, we often had avocados. And 
what I've done, I've thrown several of the pits or seeds, whatever they're called, mm-hmm. into my raised bed garden. And I have two plants now, or avocado trees, I guess they'd be called. Right. One's about 19 inches tall. The other's about 13 inches tall. Beautiful green leaves. And I'm pretty sure they don't survive a Missouri winter. But if I put them in a, a pot and brought them inside, uh, do you think they'd survive? And for that matter, would they even produce? They'll never produce to be honest with you. But yes, they will survive. They'll just be a classic house plant, you know, more or less, a, let's say, like a fig tree or a ficus tree or something along that line. Never that big. But, uh, you know, you'll have green leaves, but you'll never get any fruit off of them. Okay. <laughs> that was my question. But they are beautiful plants. Oh, absolutely. And they're Please. not, I mean, they're really easy to grow. A lot of people stick three toothpicks in them and put them in a glass of water and they always just make sure the bottom part of the avocado seed is wet and then you'll start to see the seed open up and then you'll see the taproot head down into the water and then you can either just grow it like that until you're bored with it or put it in a pot like what you were talking about. And I, I never thought that anything would happen. I never even thought about it. I just throw those seeds in the, in the garden. You know? Right. And all of a sudden they just came up on their own. Great. Said, perfect. Wow. Yeah, that's cheap thrills. Yeah, yeah. Hey, <laughs> thanks so much. Certainly. And now let's go to Jill's yard. Jill, how are you today? Hey, good. Um, I have two questions. So um, I think my yard got hit by the grubs because I just had, over the past month, brown spots just showing up. Um, so I am I actually had my yard uh, aerated and... Now I'm in the process of power raking because when it aerated, um, a lot of dead grass happened from the plug. So I'm getting all that up, and then I had all the brown areas. And so I guess guess my question is this. um, I guess it's nuts edge, right? That's been the topic of the day. Um, I was going to just not treat it because, you know, it's going to go dormant and then just put my grass seed down. So I yeah, so that's kind of what I was going to do. So I'm hoping that works and it'll fill in those um, all those brown patches. But yeah, the uh, way I guess it was yeah to go back a little bit to find to know that if you have grubs, the areas that are brown, you should be able because what the grubs do is they eat. First of all, do you have bluegrass? Uh, I don't know. Okay, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a lawn expert. No, anyway. <laughs> There's only one type of grub. There, we have five different grubs here. One is the only one that does damage to lawn, and it only does really damage to bluegrass lawns. It doesn't affect zoysia. It doesn't affect fescues or anything along that line. But to find out, let's say if you, you know if you do happen to have bluegrass, if it is grubs that are causing these brown spots, is you can actually go out and like the areas that are brown, just grab a you know grab a hole of one of the let's say a spot. And the grubs eat the root system, and then consequently, it's loose. It's like a piece of, let's say, a rug or something that you can just pull, you know, pull up. So that's oh, yeah, the way. That's what it was. Okay. It was like matted. All of a sudden, it turned brown. And it was matted, and you right. just kind of pull it back. And so, so then you I, must it ha- must be bluegrass. Yeah. So <laughs> you must have bluegrass, and you do have grubs. And now, if you go out there right now, the grubs haven't started to sort of burrow down deeper into the ground. So I mean, if you wanted to. Before they get, you know, going down deeper, uh, you could put some grub X down to try to get the grubs under control. I did actually two grub treatments because it was very rapid in how big the 
the patches were expanding right. <laughs> the so rain, then, and I was going to lose my whole yard. And it's kind of on the hills. It's kind of interesting oh. that it was on the the hillside of part of the yard. Well, um, you've done everything you can, and you followed the yeah. instructions on the bag, watered in, and everything else. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay. So now I'm seeding, and I just you know I'm just hand thatching, so it's, it's been a good workout. But um, so. That was my one question for the grass. And then I have a pear tree in the backyard, and we had major pears this year. We've lived there four years, and we've never had that many pears. And so is there anything I need to do to this pear tree, like with this kind of bumper crop that we had? Or um, the pears aren't super sweet. Um I just didn't know if there's anything I needed to do with it. Now, uh, if it's healthy enough, uh, what you can do is something called deep root feeding. You know, do that during the wintertime. Get an electric drill, an earth auger, and about halfway out between the trunk and the extension of the branches, you drill holes in a circle all the way around. Then you, you know, about a foot apart or so, six inches deep, backfill those holes with compost, then go out a foot or two more and go just beyond as far as the extension of the branches. What you're doing is feeding the soil, then the soil will make sure that the tree is going to be as healthy as possible. Interesting. Okay. Good to know. Yep. And then all the fruit trees, depending upon what size standard, uh, dwarf, semi-dwarf, that's going to determine how soon after they're planted that they're actually going to start producing fruit. Okay. Yeah, this one's a very old one. It's been there for a while. Wow. Great. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, thanks. That was all my questions I had. Well, perfect. Yeah, because a standard size one, you may have to wait after it's planted up to 10 years before you're going to get much fruit production at all. So thanks, Jill. And now let's go to Peggy in St. Charles. Hi, Peggy. Good morning. I have a similar but different question. I had zoysia with cinch bugs that ate it all. Ooh. And I do have some dry patches on my yard due to the stress of the weather this year. And I had my a, a yard uh, company aerate and seed my yard this week. My question is, I got something on email from the company, a, a paragraph to keep the yard moist and watered for up to 21 days. Well, it was a muddy mess after <laughs> with all those dirt clods after the first day, and we have had a little bit of rain. Other people have said, well, they didn't know that you really had to water every day after seeding. So that is my question. What do you recommend? Uh, it just depends upon the individual circumstance, but you, generally it's recommended that you you don't have to soak it, but you have to keep it, you know, let's say like water once in the morning and once in the afternoon. For you know, usually I think fourteen days should be adequate. But you can watch the seed. Now you're over, you're not overseeding with zoysia seed, are you? No. We okay. Put fescue down. Okay, good. Because I was going to say zoysia seed doesn't like it here. No, we it, the whole yard was redone with a lot of the yard is fescue. There were areas of zoysia. Okay. So yeah, I mean, uh, it's you know, it is somewhat of a nightmare. But still, remember, as I said in the first hour to somebody called in about seeding, you're plan on overseeding this, you know, May 2019, September 2019, and maybe another two years or so before you're going to get a thick, you know, thick lawn. Is that right? Yeah, okay. it's a real painful process. All right. So it does need to be watered daily if if the sky doesn't provide it. Exactly. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah, if you don't do it, it's just going to, the seed could germinate. Then you don't water for a day or two. And that seed, the root system doesn't get into the ground, so it dehydrates really, really quickly. Let's go now to, let's stay in St. Charles and save some gas and go over to Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. Hi, 
Hi, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, my question, I have a couple questions. Uh, first off, we brought some seeds back from Galveston for palm trees, and we've got them going, and they're about maybe 8, 10 inches high. Mm-hmm. When do I bring those in? Uh, basically, you can do it any time from this point forward. You can leave them out a little bit longer if you want because they're on the deck where you sit or something along that line. But, you know, just make sure when you bring them in, you either get them under grow lights or you have them in a very, very bright, sunny window. Okay. Okay. And any special dirt for those? Uh, just a good potting mix, not potting soil. Okay. And, okay. I mean, if you wanted to, I don't know what variety of palm it is, but you could use... Either. <laughs> but, I mean, the palms are generally areas where it's the soil is sandy, so you could use actually a cactus mix potting, potting soil. Uh-huh. So, I mean, okay. if you wanted to put it in that. So you don't okay. have them in the ground, do you? You have them in pots? Yes. Okay, good. Yes. So yeah. you don't... And my you, uncle. <laughs> yeah, my uncle said they, they uh, grow real slow when they're in pots. Right. So and that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> yeah, in reality, I wouldn't fool around with them at all. But next year, when they, you, if you're going to move them back outside, that's when I might think about putting them in a pot that's about an inch bigger, and maybe do a, a you know a cactus mix, you know, okay. which is going to be a special potting mix for cactus, which is very very well drained. Okay. Okay. Um, also, elephant ears. When and exactly how? You bring those in. <laughs> are, are they in pots too? No. Well, some of them are in pots and some of them are in the ground. Any of them in the ground, just plan on just cutting them off and digging the tuber, the big bulb, up out of the ground and just shake all the soil off of it, put it in a paper bag, and just put it in your basement. Any of them that okay. are in pots, they don't necessarily like the inside of houses all that uh-huh. much. So you could bring the pots in and see how they do. But uh, the chances of having much success with them is pretty limited. So, uh, you know, my recommendation would be try one or two in pots if you want. I don't know how many you have. But for the most part, just cut them off right virtually at ground level. Cut the leaves off. You don't have to do it now. You can wait, you know, for another month or so. And then dig up the bulb and just shake, like I said, shake all the soil off of it, whether it's potting mix or soil from the ground. And then just put them in paper bags with newspapers in between each layer and put them in the basement. Okay. Um, now, I've been doing that kind of for a couple years. Right. I, you recommended that a while back. And um, a lot of them didn't come back because I don't know if I cut them off too short or too, you know, it seemed like a lot of them didn't make it. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, this is what you should There's no too short. If you wanted to, you can leave a stub of one inch or so. But just make sure that the you know the bulb when you pull it up out of the ground, you know look at it really closely to make sure it doesn't have any injuries. Like you cut it with a shovel when you were digging it up or something along that line. But okay. I've been doing it with my elephant ears for a long, long time, and cannas okay. too. Yeah. Well, it seems like a lot of the bulbs are even above the ground. Yeah, the kind of the top of them will get that way. Okay. Okay. So about an inch above. The top the of the bulb. bulb, right. Okay, okay, maybe I cut them too short last time. Yeah, the only thing, if you cut them too short, you could sort of open up an injury circumstance on the bulb. So, anyway, okay. good luck with that, Linda, and Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. 
Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Randy lives in Sunset Hills. Hi, Randy. Good morning, Michael. Tell you, I have a 50-foot pin oak uh, in the backyard, and about six weeks ago, the bottom right-hand portion, the leaves started to turn yellow, then they turned brown. It went up one side of the tree, across the top, and all the way down the other side, now all the leaves are falling off. Now, I had an arborist come out, and he took a look at it. He stumped. He doesn't know what it is. Would you have any guesses? Uh, has there been any kind of changes in your landscape or your yard or the neighbors or anything else? Nothing like that, and no lightning strikes on the tree either. So there's no split in the bark or anything? No, sir. Yeah, I, you know, to be honest with you, I'm a little bit stumped myself because for it to make that sort of sequence all the way around— it has to be root system related. I don't see what else could you know cause that. And you know, generally for something to do that, like a disease called anthracnose, but that doesn't you know normally affect the pine or the oaks rather. It goes after pines and other things. But look online at anthracnose. All right, and just see kind of if that might be something that's causing that because anthracnose can kill pine trees really within about a month or so. When I was at the Botanical Garden, there was a, an Austrian pine right out in front of the Lehman building. There was a group of three of them, and one of them got the anthracnose transmitted by beetles. And then consequently, it through one summer, it went from fairly healthy-looking or healthy-looking to dead. I'll take a look at that anthracnose. Right. Very good. Thank you so much. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, that's a tough one. Because, I mean, it's even if it was old age, it wouldn't die like that. You know, it just wouldn't happen. So, Debbie lives in uh, Edwardsville. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Mike. How are you this morning? Very good. Good. Um, I have two things. One is the comments. I heard you talking about, well, you say Solosia, and I say Solosia, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that plant, I can't uh, agree with you more on that about the beauty that that has in my garden. I've got a lot of them coming up. You were talking about successes and failures, and that definitely was a success. And they all came up this year from seed because that plant puts out billions of seeds. You aren't kidding. And uh, that's fine because I know what the seedlings look like, and I can yank them out where they, and I don't want them. But the whole area, as a success story, I it's pretty much a pollinator heaven because I've got Nicotiana that came up from seed. I've got vineyards that came up from seed, marigold, four o'clock, and then celosia. And it's just like right now in the fall, it's just beautiful. And the bees love it. Coleus as well. Right. And, and a comment I have about coleus, I used to pinch off the flowers to keep the leaves pretty, but I'm, this year, I've left the flowers grow, and that's like the bees and the of you know the wasps and all the pollinators. They love those flowers on the colia. So maybe people could just leave a little of a few of them go to go to flower rather than pinching them off all the time. Right. I don't think it matters. You know, to me, it doesn't really affect the aesthetics of it. I'll tell you another thing that really self seeds well: sweet alyssum, and that's going to oh. give you a great fragrance as well. So it's a kind of a carpeting ground cover. Well, I'm, 
very interesting that you said, but we planted that from seed last year in the house in the wintertime, and we put it that out, and it's going crazy now, so I guess I can look forward to that next year. Huh? Exactly, right. Oh, good. Good. Okay, and then my question is, I went to a talk at uh, our, our local extension, and um, they were talking about nutsedge, and I have used in the past sledgehammer and, um, oh, no, sledgehammer. Right. <laughs> sledgehammer. And he said there's a new product that they're using. I don't know how new it is, but he said it was uh, called Dismiss NXT. And I was wondering if you had any experience. I don't really know the chemical in that. But I was wondering if you had any experience with that. I haven't, you know, I have no personal experience myself. No, I don't. Okay. Well, I don't know. It's very expensive. A lot more expensive to sedgehammer, so... I probably won't be buying it, but I just was curious. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times when they first come out, that's exactly what it is. And sometimes yeah, yeah. when stuff first comes out, it's very, you know, it works very well, but you have to be in the industry to be able to, you know, to purchase it. Exactly. Okay, well, that's all I have for you today, and thanks for your show. Well, great. Well, thank you. And uh, everybody that doesn't know, I have uh, epilepsy. And when I had my epilepsy seizure, the Epilepsy Foundation, what we did as far as you know, promoting the fact I had epilepsy and everything else, we gave seed packets away of Celosia. So that was, uh, you know, one of the, you know, I used to, I don't have any of the packets anymore. I don't give out the seeds anymore. But I did that for several years. So every place I was doing remote broadcasts or any place, I was giving Celosia seeds away. So Let's go now to Maryville, Illinois, into Barbara's yard. Hi, Barbara. Hi. Uh, Mike, I have a small plant that was given to me, <clears throat> and I know <clears throat> I know nothing about it. It's K-A-L-A-N-C-H-O-E. Right. Kalanchoe. Yes. And well, I don't know what to expect of this little plant. Basically, what you need to do is don't overwater it. Maybe once a month water it at the most and put it in a bright, sunny window. Well, it's got such a small root ball, uh, it dries out real quick. Don't worry about it being dry. It wants to be dry. It wants to be dry. Right. Overwatering, you'll rot the roots, and it'll end up being a nightmare, a disaster. Well, <laughs> it's grown. Uh, it was about three inches when I got it, and it had many, many blooms on it. Right. Now, the, will it bloom again? Uh, probably not for a while. It's not going to be a continuous bloomer inside by any means. Okay. Well, so I you're basically know. growing it for the leaves. You might get some flowers, but, uh, you know, don't sit there and sort of wait for it to flower. So you like, like I said, it's more or less a succulent. It's in the cactus family. So in the future, if you want to put it in a little bit bigger pot, put the, you know, get the pot one inch bigger than the one that's in and then use a cactus mix to grow it in. So thank you. Thanks, Barbara. Let's go now to Swansea, Illinois, and that's where Betty lives. Hi, Betty. Hey. Uh, I've called about this before, but I know I'm getting afraid because it's, it's getting cool. I had um, a part of my yard in the front yard of my, of my, in the front yard, 
bunch of Bermuda grass. So I decided, you know, I've had it for the past four years that I've been here, and I decided to get rid of it. So my son, I, first of all, I killed it off with Roundup, as you suggested, and I used two gallons of it because of the spray was so small that, anyway, um, my son rototilled it, and um, we I spent a week of digging up the roots of this, um, <clears throat> excuse me, of this uh, Bermuda. So now I don't, you know, I'm sure there's still some in there. Yes. But I'm having a, a company to come over to rototill it, and, I mean, not, I mean, to cooperate and to overseed. Should I have him to use um, his machine that, to do that over on the, the new? It's it's just like uh, it ain't mud, but it's uh, just a new new dirt on the where we've dig, dug it up and, and tr- tried to clean it up. And should I have him to do that on that that part too? No, because actually the rototilling that your son did that aerated the soil just fine. You don't need to run the core aerator over that. Okay, great. That's what I thought. Well. Okay, um, and uh, as far as that, me digging them, digging them out. <laughs> how much do I have to expect that? Like I said, I spent five days, all day, digging up the roots that didn't die with uh, the Roundup. Right. How much? I mean, how how much can I expect there to be in there yet? There's still going to be some. It's going to take a, probably you know one or two more years to finally get rid of all of it. So just keep your eyes out. You know what it looks like. As soon as you see it, get it up out of the ground so the root system doesn't you know sort of expand. Yeah, okay. That's what I'll have to do. Okay, kiddo. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Love wine and whiskey. Grab your friends and join KMOX October 6th at the Wine and Whiskey Wobble at Cedar Lake Cellars in Wright City. Get ready for a full-bodied experience paired with the ultimate party. Filled with plenty of wine and whiskey. Three race options guaranteed. There'll be something for everyone. Use promo code Let's Wobble to take 50% off your registration while supplies last. The Wine and Whiskey Wobble at Cedar Cedar Lake Cellars in Wright City. For more details, click KMOX.com. Join KMOX and Edward Jones at the biggest women's event in the region, the AHA Women's Speaker Series. It's going to be October 4th at the Stiefel Theater, featuring prominent female speakers and business leaders. For the event and ticket information, visit KMOX.com. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we've got about 10 more minutes. And then at uh, 10 o'clock, Investing Sense with Andy Smith and Bob Richards. 1110, the Ameren Total Access pregame show with Alex Ferraro. And then at 1205, the Cardinals versus San Francisco Giants. So all kinds of stuff coming up and then a lot of stuff after that as well. And Bruce lives in Florissant. Bruce, how are you today? Good morning, Mike. I'm doing very well, thank Great. you. Hey, in our yard, we have uh, shade in the front. We have sun in the back. And we have a broadleaf weed that seems to, to really enjoy both. It's proliferating like crazy. I've got a neighbor who seems to think this is ground ivy. I've never heard of that. But do you have any idea of how one would get rid of that? Basically, if it's a broadleaf weed... Uh, the ground ivy, it could certainly be that. And uh, let me see here one second. Let's see. Ground ivy. 
that's probably going to, let's see. You're probably going to have to go out. I would go ahead and just use a, like a weed be gone. You're not putting any grass seed down, right? No, not right now. I would say nope. go out and just spray it with like a weed be gone herbicide now, even though it might be late in the season, just to see if you can impact it a little bit to kind of okay. reduce the size of it because it is prolific. Oh, yes, it is. We'll do that, and then in the springtime, we'll see if we can't get more grass sown in that area. Yeah, exactly. And also watch out, you know, in the springtime, too, as soon as you see it kind of coming up, then that's when you want to go after it because you're going to have a better chance of getting a kill at that time. Okay, well, very good. What what months, give or take, would we expect that? Uh, As far as in the spring? Yeah, uh, it's you know, it's going to be weather dependent, but I'd say start sure. watching really closely in mid-April. Okay, well, very good. I'll look for that. Hey, I appreciate your help, Mike, and I hope that you enjoy your day. Yes, me too, and I hope you enjoy your day. So thanks, and Letty lives in Caseyville, Illinois. Hi, Letty. Hello, Michael. I enjoy your show. Uh, could you please tell me how I could save my lantana over winter? They're in pots, and I have a grow light in the basement. Basically, hopefully the grow light's big, but uh, just put them underneath the grow light, and I don't know if you can raise or lower the grow light or put the lantana underneath them, but you want them fairly close to the grow light. They need a lot of intense light. So you can, you don't want to put it too close because it's going to have the extension of the branches won't be under the grow light. But that's about the best thing you can do. And they want very little water during the wintertime. So maybe water them about once a month. Okay, because before they always lost their leaves, and then they ended up dying, aren't right. they? So if you overwater them, that will definitely do that. They're not great as houseplants. That's why, let's say, the retail garden centers and places like that don't sell them as a houseplant for that reason. So it's going to be a roll of the dice whether you're going to have success with them or not. Okay, well, I appreciate your show and your answers. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, lantana's kind of tough. And uh, maybe in the future, if you're going to try to bring your lantana in, uh, maybe sometime in, let's say, mid-August or so, start cutting it back a little bit because they get so elongated. This way you might have a more dense plant and have a better chance of having it survive in the wintertime. But it is still going to be very, very difficult. Imperial is where Lisa lives. Hi, Lisa. Good morning. Quick question for you. I... um Core aerated, seeded, compost, fertilized two weeks ago, and I do have grass seed growing in several places, but there's some places that it's not coming up, and I want to put some more seed down. Do I need to put more fertilizer on top, or is it is the fertilizer that I put before, the starter fertilizer, still going to work? It still should be fine. Okay, perfect. So, But I, the area where you're going to put the new seed down, just take a leaf rake and just rake it really gently. Okay, got it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lisa. And now let's go to Lorraine, and she's in Florissant. Hi, Mike. How are you this morning? Very good. All right. They they came, the city uh, union electric was out here working in the yards, and my backyard is full of moles. The moles just didn't come up. I just want you to tell me if you can recommend me a company that could come out and give spray my backyard. I mean, it is ridiculous. I've been here like 35 years, and I've never, I've had the beautifulest lawn, and I take care of it. But 
like I, I, everybody else, I'm having problems. Right. So are you saying you have moles, M-O, an animal, right? Yes. And somebody, my niece told me to get some sand. She said, Aunt Lorraine, go to the hardware and get some sand. And she told me to just take each hole and put the, I said, I never heard of that. I said, so <laughs> if you could just recommend me a company to come out and get my yard. I, I, my yard never I've had the beautifulest yard, and even my neighbors didn't have a decent yard. So it's terrible, Mike. It's really terrible. I, I haven't called you in a while, and I haven't listened to you. I said, i got to get up and turn Mike Miller on this morning to see can I get some advice. So you're sure it's moles. You're seeing the tunnels pop up and everything else. Yes. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I would say you have a pencil? Yes, sir. I Oh, bless your heart. Yes, I got a pencil right here in my hand. Okay, try calling Holper, H-O-L-P-E-R. Holper, I guess it's animal control or something wait like that. H, wait a minute, H-O-L-P-E, yes, P, and then an E-R. E-R, okay. And what they're going to do, they're going to set traps. They're going to set a lot of traps. So, I mean, some people say you can put mothballs, you can do this, you can do that. There's all kinds of different ways, but the traps are the things that have really proven totally effective all the time. Okay, Mike. You didn't have, what's the number, the telephone number? <laughs> I, you're going to have to look it up because I don't know. I don't have their number memorized. Okay. All right, but I just want to make sure I got it spelled right. Right. H-O-L-P-E-R. Correct. Thank you very much, and I will call them. And, you have a wonderful day. Well, you, and also, let me give you another company, too. Okay. Okay. Rottler. R-O-T-T-L-E-R. Oh, my house. R-O-T-T-E-R. No. R-O-T-T-L-E-R. L-E-R. Right. They're both experts on getting... All kinds of different things under control. Thank you so very much, and enjoy your day. Well, you do the same thing. Thanks, Lorraine. And now let's go to Norma in St. Louis. Hi, Norma. Hi. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you for taking my call. Today must be the Celosia show, because there's been a lot of talk about that. Um, I thought I knew the difference between perennials and annuals, but why is Celosia an annual when it comes back like crazy every year on its own? Because it doesn't come back from the root system. Perennials come back oh, from the roots. Gotcha. It self-seeds. Okay. Uh, my neighbor has thousands, millions of those things. And I was thinking of stopping by and asking him for some plants. When is the best time to dig those up? Uh, if you're going to do it now, it's going to be tough unless you're going to try to grow them inside. So okay. I would say wait until next year when they start, when they start sprouting and then ask him okay. for some at that time. Okay, that sounds like a good idea. I think he has plenty to spare, and I'm sure he would give me some. <laughs> they are gorgeous. They absolutely. Are absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, the color Thank this you. time of year is striking. Oh, gosh, it's just stunning. Yes. Thank you so much, Mike. I really enjoy your show. Well, thank you. Uh-huh. And Bye-bye. for everybody, it's, you know, it's about the end of the show, so I'm not going to be able to take any more calls. But as you get your houseplants, if you have houseplants on the deck or the patio or wherever in pots, just start watching them really closely. If you think or suspect that you might have some insects on them, 
and you're, you're not sure what it is, take a leaf or take some of the insects to your favorite garden center and find out. There's insecticidal soaps. There's things that you can mix if you have, let's say, fungus gnats on the potting mix. So a fungus gnat would be something that lives right there. It only lives for a couple days. So it doesn't do any good to necessarily kill the adults because they're laying eggs constantly. So you're going to have to do like a soil drench with like a you know, an insecticidal soap to kill them and just you're going to have to reapply it, you know, a couple different times to get them under control. But you don't want to bring any, ins, you know, any insects into your house with your plant material because once they get inside, the insects can be really problematic and especially for other plant materials that may not be impacted by that particular plant. So you also, with your annuals that you have in your yard now, Keep fertilizing them one more time for fertilizing because they're still going to look very, very good. And then, of course, any of the fall season type things, the kales, the ornamental cabbages, and the pansies, you want to fertilize those as well to make sure they're going to give you an extended period of time of good color. So thanks to everybody for calling in. I greatly appreciate it. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.